whether it is someone in yoga or someone in nutrition, people want and deserve to be heard and to be seen and to be validated. That's all we all really want as as humans. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. A skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. I am starting to think that some of the coolest dietitians in this field are in New York. I mean, the short list includes some we've interviewed like Mulaney Rogers, Chelsea Levy, Kendra Tanis, Sandra Kronberg. And some we have in the wings like David and Emily. Stay tuned. Those are going to be great. And we have a long list of amazing clinicians around the world in the field of eating disorders that we are looking forward to interviewing and working with. But today we are super happy to be talking with Alyssa Toomey. She is in her second career as a dietitian. When she started working, she was in crisis intervention. And I believe this was a pillar for her eating disorders work. You'll be able to tell how comfortable she is with trauma-informed nutrition care and breath work is peppered throughout this conversation. Alyssa mentions how hard it was during her internship to find a dietitian to work with because of HIPAA and privacy. So even if you can work with a dietitian or a therapist who specializes in eating disorders, the client has the right to deny yet another set of eyes on them. But other clients are really willing to share their story kind of as a teaching tool for new clinicians, but more importantly, to give a platform for them to speak out loud to a whole nother person what their journey has been. It's, it really propels them. It's, it's so good to see. Anyway, I won't spend all my time talking about students, but Alyssa today teaches us how to roll with the resistance and how to balance curiosity with compassion. One thing she shares is it's not our job to fix our client. It's our job to be a container for some of the discomfort and pain that arises. And there's so much more here with nuggets in the show notes for you. I want to mention a listener comment, Janice, who is a dietitian with lots of credentialing letters behind her name, like diabetes educator, nutrition support. She says, I agree, especially after listening to your great podcast, that supervision is so important, even and especially after practicing for 40 years, we must keep learning. Thank you, Janice. And please do take a moment to rate, review, and share this podcast with others. And a typical disclaimer is that we bring in medical, nutrition, and therapy professionals who share their passions. And that's to pique your interest in available modalities for the field of eating disorders. And this show is intended to inform and educate. It is not a substitute for professional training and supervision required to specialize in the treatment of eating disorders, nor is it a substitute for medical, nutrition, or psychological advice from a professional or a specialist. Enjoy this episode with Alyssa. Welcome, Alyssa, to me. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. 
Well, we are excited to have you and to learn from you, but we'll just ease you into things. So mountains or beach? Oh, that's such a hard one. So growing up, we were a beach family and I have so many wonderful memories of going on beach vacations with my parents, my grandparents. But as an adult, I would say mountains. And we're lucky enough that we are close to the Adirondacks where I live mm-hmm. and my husband and children and I, we love hiking and skiing and, you know, have sort of a winter family up in the Adirondacks that we love. So I would say now mountains. <laughs> So for the Adirondacks, for people who don't know where the Adirondacks are, where are you? They are, so I am, I work in a practice, which is in Nyack, New York, which is not that far from New York city and really kind of close to New Jersey, which is where I live, but the Adirondack mountains are upstate New York. And, you know, people may have heard of Lake Placid, you know, the Olympics have been there. So that is part of the Adirondack park. Okay. Well, it sounds beautiful. I I have to come check it out. (laughs) Yes. Although I will admit that I was in Aspen a week ago for a family wedding and the mountains there kind of trump the mountains. (laughs) 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 Like those Colorado mountains are something to behold. They are. Breakfast or dinner? Dinner for sure. And not, I mean, Breakfast, of course, as like a way to start my day with some energy and, you know, fuel, but dinner is the time where I get to connect and sit around the table with my husband and my kids, depending on their, you know, schedules. And, but I I think I'm probably a little bit more of a savory person also. So that maybe lends me to more dinner foods. Awesome. All right. Last question, audio book or paper book? Oh, I feel like I'm giving you these like multitude answers, but when I'm reading, I absolutely, especially fiction, love a real paper book, but because we drive to the Adirondacks a lot, which is about a three and a half hour drive for us as a family, we listen to audiobooks, and that's been really fun over the years. I mean, when my kids were little going through all the Harry Potter series and, you know, those sorts of things. So I think both. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, your answers are so life like it's not one or the other it's not black or white or when you know sometimes audiobooks may be better and sometimes you really just want to have something in your hand so we want to I I actually know of one of our earlier guests who was in her internship and just found out that she'll be taking her RD exam pretty soon and so people who listen to this may be newer to the field maybe just going into it do you have any stories that do what do you remember about your RD exam you're a certified eating disorders, registered dietitian and supervisor. So what do you remember about your exam day? So I, you know, I came to this field later. It was a career change for me. I had been in fundraising and development for a long time and loved it. And over a period of time, though, I felt kind of far removed from the good work that the organizations that I was raising money for were doing. And I started thinking like, what, what's a way that I could sit kind of one-on-one with someone and help create change and thinking about how, my love of cooking and my love of sharing food was always so important to me growing up and thought like, you know, how do I, how do I make this, you know, like perhaps into a career for me? 
And I had gone to my first women's rights march in DC in eighth grade and, you know, declare myself a feminist, went to a women's college, had worked in the anti-sexual violence world, in the reproductive health world, in fundraising and thought like eating disorders is kind of the one place that, you know, touched upon those other worlds, but not directly. And so I went to school to become a dietitian with the hope of getting into the eating disorders field. You know, so when I took my exam, I was like, you know, much older. I had gone through the, you know, kind of family financial distress of leaving a career and going back to school. So I felt like there was a lot riding on me passing. So I didn't tell anyone other than my husband the day that I went blame to you. my exam. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, there's so much pressure, right, to pass to pass this exam and had done a lot of, I thought, good studying. And it was at that point, thankfully, computer and you, you know, got your results right away. But there's that moment before you press that submit button where you're like, oh my gosh, like, is this gonna, is this gonna work out or is it not gonna work out? And if it doesn't, like, then what? Thankfully passed and went to, yeah, went, got back to the car and called my husband and then, you know, texted my family and texted my close friends and all the celebration from there. So yeah, for sure. (laughs) But it was, it's definitely like that idea that you don't have to submit it. It's kind of interesting, right? Yeah. Get in your head and be like, well, I think I had that answer right, but <laughs> you're not totally sure. Um, kind of a shot in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, you know, before we hit record, we were chatting about yoga and how you are in squarely in that world and thinking how much was writing on it. And when our clients show up in our offices or on Zoom or whatever, how much our nervous system is present. So you just gave a great example of, I bet you can give us some tips too about how to use some somatic tools to to help in those scary situations. Anyways, how did you become, or why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into the field of eating disorders? You knew that you wanted to, which is kind of different, but you're also non-traditional because you had a career before this. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, when I was in my internship, I tried to get a, you know, one of my modules to be in eating disorders and I couldn't find anyone who would take me. I was so, I was really frustrated. You know, there were theoretically like HIPAA compliance rules, which I didn't understand because if you're working in any other area of dietetics, the same thing applies. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. And I did some, you know, kind of fun community things while I was in my internship, but I always knew that that was the direction I wanted to head in. So once I passed my RD exam, I just started looking for roles in eating disorder treatment centers. And I was like beyond lucky that Melanie Rogers at Balance took a chance on me. And she was really honest. And she, I am a like certified volunteer rape crisis advocate. And her feeling was that if I could sit with people in their trauma, doing that work, being in the hospital, advocating for people, she's like, I can teach you the nutrition of eating disorders, but you know, that you can hold space in that way, both as a yoga teacher and having that crisis training. Yeah, I was so lucky. So (laughs) my first job was, you know, getting to work at Balance. At Balance with Mulaney. That is awesome. 
Yeah. And it gets, and let me tell you, it gets better because Melanie was doing some of our supervision, but she was so busy running the business that she brought Jessica Setnick in to do supervision with us. So like I had just the most unbelievable entry into that world of getting to be supervised by these two remarkable clinicians. And right. Oh, for sure. That is fan. That's stellar. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Really lucky. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're into. So, you know, now I'm working with Jennifer McGurk and also an amazing supervisor Mm -hmm. and clinician and human. And Mm -hmm. our work is really interesting because we have our Eat With Knowledge, which is our practice where we do individual nutrition counseling for, you know, people with eating disorders, but certainly intuitive eating people who want to heal their relationship with food and body. And that's wonderful. And I spend, you know, sort of two thirds of my time or so doing that one-on-one work with clients. And then the other part of the business is called pursuing private practice, where we're teaching clinicians how to begin a private practice. And we've developed dietitian business school, which is a membership model where people get to come in and learn all what it's like to not only start and run a practice, but like how to do that in terms of what is it like to take care of yourself as a business owner, right? And so all the sort of business logistics is really kind of where Jennifer spends most of her time. And I do a lot of the case consultation and supervision of those dietitians, both individual supervision, as well as group supervision, which is such a delight. And we run self-care calls because, you know, as we know, doing this work is a lot for us as humans and trying to like sort of navigate those tricky situations. We do case consultation, but also like real supervision and real self-care where people are, you know, challenged to take a broader look at how they're taking care of themselves. Because we know if you're running a business, you could theoretically run that business 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. It's hard to turn and it off sometimes. It's hard to turn it off. And it's hard to turn off when you've got people who are sick that are in, you know, that you're in relationship with and that you care about. And a lot of our clients are probably at the wrong level of care just because of the situation that we're living in. Certainly the pandemic we know has made that much worse, you know, holding people at an outpatient level of care while we're waiting for them to perhaps go into, you know, an IOP or PHP or maybe even a residential. And so that's a lot on us to be able to still show up as our best selves. Much. So that's the pursuing private practice piece. What a, you mentioned, that's about two thirds. Yeah. And so, you know, so those are the, the one-on-one work, the work with the dietitians in pursuing private practice and dietitian business school. And then I also a yoga teacher and I use, I, I do some one-on-one, you know, work with clients. I have some therapists who refer to me just for sort of somatic work, you know, really people who are are unfortunately struggling with so much anxiety that they're, you know, can't be in their body. And so we are really working on just 
grounding techniques and like, mm. what does it feel like to spend a little bit of time, you know, connected in your body? And I feel like for all of us as dietitians, that work is so beneficial for all of our clients, right? And I and I want people to know that they can do this work. You don't have to be a 500 hour yoga teacher, right? Certified yoga teacher, that there are plenty of skills that we can all use to help our clients get out of their head and into their body. Naturally, we want to be very thoughtful when we're doing this. Yeah. Cause you mentioned trauma. And so we don't want to cause harm. We don't, and we're not therapists. For sure. Right. And, you know, I was lucky enough working at balance that I got to work really closely alongside some wonderful therapists and got to sort of learn, like, what is my pond? What is your pond? And like, where's the intersection? Like that we, you know, get to really sort of dip our toe in that water in a safe way and vice versa. And then how are we having those collaborative conversations to say, hey, this came up in my nutrition session with someone and with permission, you know, I talked to the client and said, like, I'm going to share this information with your therapist and, you know, vice versa. And that's such a nice thing also at the outpatient level of care that I so value is having, you know, really strong collaboration with the therapists and the medical doctors and even other people like, you know, Abby, you said you're a physical therapist, like there's or a personal trainer, but personal trainers and physical therapists and coaches. And like so many people can be brought into that web of people that are really trying to help our clients to be connected and to create a peaceful relationship with food in their body. But I think all of it starts with permission. Right. Really asking a client, like, would it feel safe to try this? Would it feel safe for us to put a hand on our heart and just begin to notice our breath? Would it feel safe? Right. And some of it, I even start with sort of like as an intellectual exercise, would it feel safe? What would it, what do you imagine it could feel like? How do we create almost, you know, in some ways, I think it's like no different than when, if we're doing a food exposure with a client and we want to set ourselves up for as much success as possible in that. And so it's almost going through like, what can we imagine this is going to feel like? What do we imagine might come up and what are we going to do if we feel really activated or uncomfortable throughout this experience and keep going back to like just a really slow unfolding And a few moments here and saying like, okay, what were the thoughts that came up? What were the feelings that arose and what are the sensations in your body telling you and how do we appropriately value those? Right. Because sometimes we know our thoughts aren't really telling us the truth, but if we can get people to recognize the sensations in their body often holds so much wisdom and how do we begin to focus on those? Would you say that is how you practice holding space for your clients? I think that's such a interesting topic. And we know as dietitians, we don't learn a ton about eating disorders through the internship, but especially holding space. It's like a topic that seems a bit confusing. So how do you do that? And especially virtually. Yeah. And you're right. Like Abby, the, the virtual world has made that 
you know, we've all kind of had to learn how to do our work all over again in a, in a different way. And so I think first it starts for us as the clinician and setting ourselves up. So whether we're going to meet someone in person or whether we're going to show up on Zoom with someone, it's giving yourself the space to say, okay, what do I need in this moment before I turn on the camera? And hopefully there's at least 15 minutes or so in between your clients. And I know that's not always possible. And there's some privilege that goes along with being able to create your own schedule, but to the best of our ability, you know, creating, really understanding what you need and then creating the opportunities for that. I, I like to call it the non-negotiables. Like what are the couple things that I need as a clinician, but also as a human so that I can show up as my best self. And for me, you know, I've already talked about hiking and nature. Like those are two things that are, you know, even in the rain, I'm going to go out for a walk. I also have a dog who would let me not go out for a walk. Um, but you know, that's how I like to start my day. I try to start my day without my phone, right? I one of the beautiful things, if you can say that about the pandemic, is like learning to value a cup of coffee in a beautiful mug as opposed to a to-go cup, you know, as you're driving someplace. But those small opportunities to connect in with you to do your own work to show up, you know, grounded and ready to be open in a way that is compassionate, but not open in a way that you become overwhelmed. And sometimes there's a tension there and we get to continue to evolve as clinicians and say like, okay, this is what's working. And maybe this isn't working so much, no differently than what the way we do that for our clients is help them recognize what's working and what's not working. And how do we try to amplify the things that are experiment with maybe new ideas and maybe move away from the things that aren't so beneficial toward for us. You know, I love the self-care calls that you talked about a little earlier and then the the permission. So those are kind of two separate things because the self-care is for the dietitians who this work is hard and yeah. we need our community to do this work together. So having someone to talk to, having a supervisor like you, a coach who can walk them through that for our patients when with the permission, would it feel safe? Can you give an example of a situation or some verbiage that you use in a full case or, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So if we're, you know, if I'm talking with someone who is maybe at a place in their recovery where things are going well in terms of like, we've gotten to a place where like they're eating in an adequate way, right? Enough food coming in, maybe the timing of their meals and snacks is pretty good, but they're still really going towards those safer foods and haven't quite challenged themselves with, you know, some of the foods that they had eliminated during their eating disorder when we're starting to say, okay, like what would it feel like to move, I don't know, beyond sweet potatoes is the only carbohydrate you're comfortable with. Right. And so then it would say like, okay, let's imagine what it would be like to sit down and have a meal that incorporated something that you're not as comfortable with. I would start that conversation saying like, you know, can we talk about this? Can we talk about, and, you know, and it feels a little awkward when you first start doing it. I'm going to be honest, like it, you know, because 
it really helps us to change from like us as the expert to helping our clients to know that they are the expert of their own body. That idea of like, we're just here with them to help reflect, to help maybe ask clarifying questions, to sit in the distress that they're feeling and to help validate, you know, ultimately, whether it is someone in yoga or someone in nutrition, people want and deserve to be heard and to be seen and to be validated. That's all we all really want as, as humans. And so that permission, I think, really allows people to recognize their own innate wisdom and to begin to feel empowered and to have autonomy. Because I think, you know, we come in as a clinician with like, okay, this is what we need our clients to do. And that might not be the right direction, the right order, even the right thing at all for our clients and helping them to feel that they can say yes, and they can say no, and they can trust, right? That in this process, there are no mistakes. There's just, you know, navigation and (laughs) opportunities and challenges. And so each at each step saying, going back to that example, okay, what would it feel like? And then would it feel good if we laid out what that could look like in terms of how much brown rice, right? I'm kind of making this up as we go along. And like, what would it, let's imagine what it would feel like to create an an appropriate amount of that. What else would you like to go on that, on that plate? Okay. Now let's, is it safe for us to move forward? What would it feel like to imagine like where you're going to eat this with whom you're going to eat this? Like, and then you know, if you notice that someone is maybe getting a little bit, either they're getting quieter or you notice some sort of nervousness showing up, then it's another opportunity to pause and reflect that and say, Hey, it looks like, you know, I'm noticing this. Is that accurate? Is that what you're experiencing? And then depending on the answer, which, you know, generally is probably gonna be like, yep, it's feeling a little scary for me then saying, okay, well, would you want to, how would it feel if we did a little bit of breath work together around this? And knowing that we want to, as we've said, be really trauma informed and really thoughtful about people's nervous system, but also really thoughtful for a lot of people. They are almost more comfortable in that, you know, as part of that nervous system, their sympathetic nervous system, if someone's experienced trauma, and let's be honest, having an eating disorder alone is a traumatic experience, let alone living through a pandemic and all of the other things that people may have individually experienced in their lives. And so the idea of being honest and really forthright with clients and saying, this might feel even harder at the beginning and still you know, what we know is that over time, if we can begin to come back into our body, we can learn to tolerate the distress of it a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit more so that eventually we move back to that place where being in the rest and digest part of our nervous system does ultimately feel like the place that we want to go you know, it's kind of like at each step, it's almost like, you know, when you're, I I think about like when I, when we were, you know, potty training the puppy and it's like every small little step we stop and we sort of evaluate and we give, you know, a treat to, and then we honor and we celebrate. And like, this is in some ways, it's kind of similar. It's like every little step we stop and we say, is this working? What are you feeling? Can we go forward? Is it okay? Right. Really just kind of helping our clients 
again, know that they hold all of this ability to take care of themselves, but you know, that diet culture and other things have sort of stripped away from them. Quick break here to give a big shout out to the sponsor of today's episode. I really appreciate the support from Great Plains Idea. And Great Plains Idea is an online master's degree in dietetics program. It's diverse just like our profession. I have mentioned in the past that I teach a course in the fall called Nutrition Therapy for Eating Disorders through Great Plains Idea. So you can choose from a variety of courses to elevate your leadership skills, help you apply cutting-edge information in clinical nutrition, public health nutrition, healthcare administration, or nutrition needs across the lifespan. So you can tailor your degree to enhance your practice and meet your professional goals. Courses are completely online, so you can fit them in around work and family. To learn more, check out gpidea.org or visit the link in our show notes. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. As you were explaining it, in my head, I'm thinking of like rolling with, with resistance because most of my patients are teenagers. And so I get a lot of Abby, come on, like, this is corny. I'm not doing this with you. So I'm envisioning myself saying that to them. I like the idea of the breathwork piece. How, how do we go about learning how to even do that? Yeah. So, and I agree, like teenagers are a whole, they're a whole interesting group. Right. But I think ultimately, like, you know, I'm sure we've all had to say, especially on zoom, like, Hey, it seems like you're distracted is maybe your phone getting in the way. Could you, you know, maybe put your phone out of the way. I also use a lot of like kind of levity with my teenagers and will say really with all of my clients and be like, I know this feels corny and that's okay. I know it might feel weird. It might feel uncomfortable. And I'll even tell stories of going in the way back machine. The first time I walked into a yoga class was in 1996 and I walked in with my best friend and the lights got low and they started chanting. We started laughing and we were asked to leave. No, no joke. Okay. And years later I came back to yoga. I was at a different place. Maybe like the studio was different. It was warm. Now I've done, you know, 500 hours of yoga teacher training. So I, and I use that story to say like, yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable to start thinking about like, even just the, the idea of breath work. It's like, well, of course we're always breathing, but, you know, kind of using some of that to say to people like, yeah, it's weird. It's uncomfortable, but that's okay. Like we can be weird and uncomfortable. There's nothing right. And we can stop whenever you feel like you need to stop. Right. That's again, that permission piece of saying like, if it feels more comfortable to turn your camera off for a few minutes, that's okay. We can do that. Right. With the hope that eventually you've built enough rapport and enough comfort. And most importantly, when people begin to experience what it feels like in their body, they're going to want more of it. Right. And so that is, you know, kind of like a sideways in maybe of helping people to, to try that. And, you know, I think in general, the idea, it doesn't have to, now there are so many different breaths that fall within sort of the yogic sphere and they're wonderful and they have different reasons that you might do them. But ultimately for people who are not new, who are new to this, who aren't practiced in any way, it can just be the simple inhaling through the nose. Imagine filling your belly like a balloon, 
exhaling through the nose, imagine all the air releasing out of that balloon, right? Just really as a starting point and then inviting people to recognize like what are their thoughts when they're experiencing that and can we begin to just gently guide the thoughts back either to the sensation in the body of the you know rising and falling of the breath or it can be a fun place to invite people to notice okay what does it feel like if you're comfortable putting a hand on your heart and a hand on your belly great If you're not, put both hands on your heart. If that's not okay, fine. Leave your hands down by your sides. But can you feel what it feels like for the belly to expand? Can you feel the sensation of the belly drawing back? Okay, now notice what it feels like for the air to come into the nostrils on the inhale. Can you tell that it's a little cooler than when you exhale the air out of the nostrils? And then just invite that curiosity in the body as a way of trying to direct the thoughts away from some of those more self-critical thoughts that people might be experiencing. And again, that combination of being in the body, of using that as a way to move into that rest and digest part of our nervous system, but also as an opportunity to just turn the volume down maybe a little bit on those thoughts. It is just amazing to hear you talk. The permission is just so clear. The noticing, you said, if you notice someone's getting quieter or maybe looking nervous is to be able to bring that up and just recognize it and give lots of options. Like if you, because I can imagine the the chest or the heart may not be as filled with dread as the stomach area, as the tummy, as the abdomen, but we don't know that with our clients. And so giving them permission to not even do that. And as you were talking, one of the, one of my good friends, who's a therapist had long COVID Mm -hmm. and that breath work, and she's a yoga, she's yoga therapist too. Well, she doesn't do it for her clients. She is, she did it for herself, but she couldn't do the breath work. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's even being open to how does that, how does that feel in your body when your lungs are (laughs) covered in COVID? Right. And and what are the other ways? Like, you know, when we, uh, so many of our clients are maybe told by their medical doctors that it's not safe for them to exercise and maybe exercise was part of their disorder or not. And maybe exercise for them was just a way that they like connected with themselves or felt sort of like a decompression of stress. And if they can't do that, it's like, okay, well, what else can we do? It won't be the same, but what, you know, what did you, what were the benefits that you experienced? Experience from exercise and what else could we experiment with that might give you some of those benefits. So the same thing, if you can't do the breath, okay, maybe it's the idea that it allowed you to quiet your thoughts was one of the benefits that you got. Okay. Would it be then giving you a journal prompt that you could journal around so you could focus in that way, right? I think it's this idea of my mom used to say, throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Right. And I think there's a lot of that in the work that we do is like curiosity and compassion, curiosity and compassion. We just keep expanding all of the opportunities. And so it sounds like some of this you can do in session with the patients that you see when else. So I'm thinking like maybe before mealtime when they're feeling very anxious 
Yeah. And, you know, when I, when I worked at, you know, higher levels of care, we certainly would do sort of that setup before going into a meal. And I will do that whether I'm doing a meal support with a client in the outpatient setting, or I'll even just talk about what, how they could set themselves up well for a meal on their own, right. And using the breath, using, using intention setting, checking in, like, what is my hunger before this meal? What is my anxiety in general? What is the food anxiety that might be coming up around this particular food or these particular foods? And really, you know, rather than kind of going from whatever school work activity into the meal, like creating that opportunity to come back to ourselves a little bit, right? You know, because when we think about attuning to hunger and fullness as part of intuitive eating, right? And satisfaction, of course, but we certainly anxiety, certainly depression, lots of things can take us out of that connection with ourselves. But busyness can too, right? Like there are times when I'm going from client to client and not until I give myself a few moments to stop in between. And I like, wow, I'm really tired or wow, I'm really thirsty or wow. I like, that was not enough lunch. I need to go back and get something else. Right. And it's for no other reason that we tend to all live our, our lives with like too much to do and not enough time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Inviting that before a meal or a snack is really beneficial. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot as you were just doing an, an example of a breath work of just breathing in, feeling the balloon fill up and the breathing out and feeling I did it. I had myself on mute and I could feel the difference in my body. It was just a couple of breaths, but it kind of grounded me and centered. So I love throw the spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks. That's a way to tell if it's done, but that's also a way to to get curious about what's going to work for that person. You know, if it doesn't stick, I kind of use the example of like, I'll toss you a ball. And and if, if you can try it out and if it doesn't work, you will let that one go and I'll toss you another one. And let's just see how that goes. You also mentioned, you know, the lived experience. And yesterday I heard the term lived expertise because Mm -hmm. we are not experienced experts. We have learned what we need to know about nutrition. We have learned what we need to know about. It's it's always happening. I'm always learning, but about eating disorders and we stay open to that, but it's not just a lived experience. That's their lived expertise. I loved that. I don't know. yeah. Yeah, me too. Like what a beautiful way again, to help people recognize and elevate their experience in a way that it's not like, oh, this has just happened to me. It's like, no, I am the expert of my own body and recognizing that there might be a major disconnect for a lot of people, but that is so much of the work is helping people to have that sovereignty of their own bodies, their own experiences, and to recognize that it is more valuable than anything I could ever say to a client. Huge, huge. And like you said before you even gave the example, you can't do this when someone is still in nutrition rehab intensely. They have to be able to be eating fairly regularly. And if using the sweet potato example, they have to be taking in enough to do these experiments and to, yeah, take it stepwise. 
Yeah. And we still begin to even talk about them from the, like from the onset, like even when they're not, and you know, no different than the principles of intuitive eating, right? Like at certain levels of care, you are not engaging with all of those principles, but you're at least exploring them and, and using them as like, as we move through this, as we move forward, these are all the things that are going to become available to us. You know, again, like I, I feel like when people are brought into the whole process and recognizing like you might not be able to like actually take all this in right now, but like, this is all what's available and what's coming and we don't have to do anything in any prescribed way, right? We're just going to keep showing up together, hopefully also with a therapist and a medical doctor and all those other members and saying like, okay, you know, this is how it's unfolding and this is how we can keep supporting you through that journey back to yourself. There's really something about those damn sweet potatoes. Like <laughs> for some reason, they're just God's gift. Everybody wants to do the sweet potatoes, but don't you dare mention a white potato. I mean, really, you're so right on me. And I will just, I'll never understand that, you know, and I will say to my clients all the time, and I'm sure you both say something similar, which is like, what you're eating is actually far less important to me than your relationship with what you're eating. Right. And unfortunately our diet slash wellness culture has so co-opted so much of the way that we could just be an easeful relationship with food. And it's, it's sad and it makes me sad. It makes me mad. It makes me all kinds of things. <laughs> um, but you know, that is ultimately what I want for people is like recognizing that all foods fit and that diet culture doesn't own sweet potatoes and eating disorder recovery or whatever, or authentic life doesn't own, you know, white potatoes. It's all available to all of us. And over time we get to explore like what is true taste preference for me. And when I begin to invite my clients to think about what they're eating, when they're eating, how they're eating, all those things, like I want them to think about like, how is this going to nourish me physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? And you know, often people at the beginning are like, what in the world are you talking about? Right. Um, but over time, we have to be really thoughtful and ask those questions and wrestle with them and sit with them. And over time, that just becomes natural because that's how it started for all of us, right? And unfortunately, it got interrupted for, you know, many, many people for many different reasons. But coming back to that place of like, you know what, sometimes the sweet potato is delicious. And sometimes, you know, the white potato is delicious. And we want to make that choice based on like, what do I want in this moment? Not what is, you know, diet culture telling me I should want. You, I know that you are a newer-ish dietitian, but you just seem like this has been your entire life, the way you speak about it. You're so great. I have great. to agree. I'm just sitting here relaxed, listening and being part of this. Yeah. You're Thank you. I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like I was kind of like always adjacent to this world, if that's the best way to describe it. Like, because, you know, and, and I think it's important because I know that all people in all areas of their dietetics career listen to this podcast. And I think it's really helpful for people to know that like, 
just because you start in one place doesn't mean you can't, you know, explore a different place, right? So I started in fundraising and development and I loved it for a long time. And then it just wasn't feeling right. And I moved organizations a couple of times thinking maybe it was the organization. And then I was like, no, like something inside of me is telling me like, this is no longer my path. But I will tell you for sure that the listening and the thoughtful conversations that I was engaging, and I was lucky enough to be a major gifts officer. So I was, you know, asking for big donations from people. And that's not coming like in a moment, right? Those are relationships that you build in order to build trust in you, in order to build trust in the organization and the programming that you're doing in order to get people to be writing, right? Significant contributions. And so I think so much of that work, you know, kind of naturally is similar here because that's really what we're doing. We're building relationships with people. Well, you're good at it. So if we if we were to take you back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? That it's not my job to fix. Right. That feels nice. <laughs> nice yeah. to hear. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I talk about with the dietitians that I'm lucky enough to supervise now, right? It's not, it's not our job to fix anyone. We show up as our best selves with our best intentions and we continue to learn more and do better and grow more. But ultimately our job is to empower the people that we're working with to do what's best for them. That's heavy. That's really, because we're we are getting paid to help people and to have that idea that it's not our job to fix. And the way that we fix everything, ourselves, our relationships, our everything is to just allow our knowledge to be in the room with their knowledge. And wow, Alyssa, that was amazing. Thank you. I mean, it, and it's hard, right? Even as someone, you know, who's been doing this for a number of years now, I will find myself, certainly when you're sitting with someone who's in distress, you want to fix it. That's human nature, right? Whether that is a client or a friend or, you know, a, a family member, right? Like we all kind of have that writing reflex and we want to help. I think ultimately we all went into this field because we care and we want to make this world a better place for people. But, you know, that's, it, it takes people's power away if we're jumping in and fixing. I also don't think it's sustainable <laughs> like, because that's the goal, right? And when, when you are maybe meeting with a new client and the parents and the parents are saying like, how long is this going to be? I'm like, I have no idea how long this is going to be, no. right? But, you know, one of the ways I'll say is like, my job is to put myself out of a job with every client. Absolutely. Is to, yes. but to get my clients to a place where they are able to fix quote unquote themselves, right? Like I'm just here, you know, as the witness to that. And as the person who is creating the container of safety, hopefully that they can do that work. Mm-hmm. Well, you were so helpful, knowledgeable. It was great to chat with you. How can people find you, contact you, anything like that? 
So pursuing private practice or eat with knowledge, you can find me at either of those two. And, you know, as I said, like we are always loving for new dietitians to come and be with us as part of that, our dietitian business school. I also do one-on-one supervision with people. And that is something that I hope to get to do more and more of, because I, I really love it. It's um, my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And I don't think I would ever give up the one-on-one nutrition counseling. I think there's something valuable for me as a supervisor to right. Keep having part of that. Mm. But I, I really feel so lucky to get to work with other dietitians. And even, you know, I I've been doing a little bit of work with some therapists in my area of helping them with some case consultation. And it's really nice when you can work with other people, you know, in other disciplines and learn together, learn from them. And I have my own peer supervision group of, it's just so beneficial to learn from one another. There's so much, we're never going to learn it all and that's okay, but we get to keep learning together. Um, And I feel like I learned just as much from my, like from the people I supervise as, you know, as I've learned from the people who have come before me. So absolutely. Yeah. I feel the same. And that's the whole idea of this podcast, right? Is that we that we all come to the field with different levels of seasoning and then our client has their own level of seasoning and we just have to learn the recipe together. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you for joining us, Alyssa. We were really glad to have you. Thank you. So my pleasure. I love it. And as I said, before we hit record, like, it's so nice to put faces to, <laughs> you know, to voices because I hear you when I'm out on my walks with my dog a lot. So. Yay! <laughs> Keep listening. That's awesome. Thank you. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com slash professionals.